0: Would you take your Bibles and open to First Peter, the book of First Peter? It's almost all the way at the back. If you find the maps, you've gone too far. I'll be preaching out of First Peter chapter one verses six through nine. Read the scriptures with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's going to be just three points in this sermon, and you can see them right up there. Praise, problems, and piety. We'll get to that. But before I really go into it, I just want to head off something at the pass right away. Um. Because, you know, I said good morning, and you said good morning back, and if I were to say something like, well, how are you? I'd probably hear a couple half-hearted, well, good, okay, I'm fine, you know? That sort of a thing. We're, we're, we're German-Norwegian sort of Lutheran people, so we, we, we really don't speak up. Um, but if we were of a more gregarious sort, there'd probably be a lot of people saying, oh, good, fine, great. And uh, it's kind of just a, just a way of speaking, in a way. You know, you say, how are you? Good. It's just the same as if I were, you know, if you wanted to say something was certain. You know, in North Dakota speech, you'd say, no, yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's, it's a way of speaking. But just because we, when somebody says, how are you, you say, good. Doesn't mean that there isn't trials and hardships and suffering and problems in life. And I think we can. I've I've fallen into this, even looking at this text, and I so I wanna. I wanna guard against this right away. I think we can start to think that, oh, when the Bible talks about suffering, when the Bible talks about that sort of a thing, that's really just reserved for the people who are dying for their faith, that's reserved for these Christians that Peter's talking to that are getting fed to lions, or or strung up and crucified, or lit on fire as torches in Rome. You know, the real difficult things. But I don't want you to think that, and I don't want you to hear that throughout this sermon. And I'll even get to why that's the case, or why that's not the case. Because, All of your trials as a Christian, all of your sufferings, they have a purpose. So, have that in mind. Don't write off things that you think, oh, it's not a big deal, it's too small. Don't write off anything before you even hear, okay? So our text begins, in this you rejoice, and it begins with praise. But the question is, you know, what is the this, in this you rejoice? It should be good to know, right? Well, if you'll remember back about a little over two months now, the last sermon I preached here on verses 3 through 5, we saw that Peter was praising God because he worked So great a salvation for those who wait for him. So that we have an inheritance in heaven, kept for us, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That it's out of our sin's reach to defile. It's out of the world's reach to spoil. And it's out of Satan's reach to destroy. And God is guarding us. He's guarding you. By his mighty power, through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that is something worth rejoicing over. But there seems to be a wrinkle in this. Or a fly in the ointment, or whatever else you want to call it. Because there are problems. The second point. Or as Peter calls them, various trials. And literally, here it's it's multicolored or variegated trials. These are trials of every type and sort imaginable that cause us grief. Not just the big things. It's, a, it's, it's every color, every color of the spectrum. You've got the aches and pains that come with life. You've got the sorrow when someone you love passes away. You've got the heartache when a friend says they don't want to see you again. And you've got the suffering for the sake of Christ. And you've got everything in between. It's not a one-size-fits-all difficulty. And this middle section here is where I want to spend the bulk of this sermon. Peter says, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that was all a mouthful. So let's break it up. Because Peter is building up to his point, but we won't get it if we fly right past. And first I want you to notice that the grieving does not take the place of the rejoicing. It's not sometimes you rejoice and sometimes you're you're being grieved. The rejoicing is constant. The rejoicing, I mean, it's not this jump up in the air all the time, everything is fine. That's not what's going on here. It's not everything is fine and I love life. It's my inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. So what these trials and these griefs on earth do to me, I am grieved, but they can't touch my inheritance. The rejoicing is constant, but the problems that cause the grief are temporary. The phrase Peter uses, now for a little while. In a New Testament language, a little while can mean just that, a little while. But more often, this sort of speech is used to remind us how short our lives really are on earth compared to eternity. Now we, we don't normally think in terms of such length, and we really can't even conceive of, of anything longer than our own lifetimes. Even a hundred years seems like forever. If you say something happened a hundred years ago or 200 years ago, that feels as close to us as something happening a thousand years ago. But even though we may be grieved by various trials, throughout the entirety of our lives, for what feels like forever while we're here, we will not look back 10,000 years in glory with Jesus. We won't look back and say, don't you think that happened a little too long? Couldn't you have shortened that up a little bit, Jesus? And not only being temporary, these problems also have a purpose. Because Peter says, if necessary, we should be asking, necessary for what? And we see the answer just a few words later. The words, so that, should tip us off that what comes after is the purpose of what came before. And what he's saying is, God gives us these trials to test our faith. But this is not the sort of test that you get graded. It's not a pass-fail. It's not getting your driver's license or an A or a B or whatever. Notice how Peter compares this testing of our faith with the testing of gold in fire. In the ancient world, what it meant to test gold and other precious metals in fire was to take it in its kind of raw form With all these impurities in it, I mean, it's gold, it's valuable, but it's impure. There are other base metals in it, there are maybe other things all in there too. And you'd heat it up in a furnace until it was all melted. And just like if you were to pour oil on top of water, the oil will float, so will these impurities float to the top of the gold. And so you could skim it off. And so what you were left with is purer gold than you had before. That's the kind of testing. It's not giving it a grade. It's purifying. So we receive trials, not because God wants to give us a grade, but because he is purifying us. He's purifying our faith. So that when Jesus returns from heaven to take account of all the earth, he would find your faith secure. Because the impurities have been melted out, and skimmed away through the trials that you have endured. Which brings us to our third point, piety, which is kind of an old word, but it starts with P, so it works with the alliteration. We don't really call anyone pious anymore. In fact, if we use that term, if you've ever heard it, it might be just as likely you heard it ironically as a sarcastic joke as if in its real meaning. But originally, piety is exactly what these next verses are describing. Because piety simply means adoration. Someone who is pious is someone who adores, someone who loves deeply. So what Peter is saying is these scattered, exiled Christians love and adore Jesus, and yet they've never seen him with their eyes. And remember who is writing this letter. It is the Apostle Simon Peter, the one who was walking around with Jesus for three years, the one who saw him with his own eyes and heard him speak thousands upon thousands of times. But that's not an option for these folks. They, they never saw Jesus walking around. They never heard his voice audibly as he spoke. And yet what a glorious thing it is that Peter can say to them, I can see that you love Jesus just as I do. It's such a grace that we have this little little verse in the Bible. Because don't you sometimes feel like you're missing out on the best deal? You know, if only you could have been there when Jesus was, was around, walking around on this earth. If only you could have seen him for yourself. But what Peter is saying is this. He says, look. I know you haven't laid eyes on Jesus. I know that I have a privilege that that you don't. But don't think that your relationship with Jesus is any less real than mine. You haven't seen him, but you do love him. Jesus is hidden away in heaven until the proper time when he will come to judge the earth. But your faith in him is as real and as meaningful as that of the apostles. It's not imaginary. It's not something that you've conjured up. You really do love Jesus. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. See, piety is the meaning of faith and the means of your salvation. Faith isn't just agreeing with some statements. It's not just checking all the boxes of, yes, this, 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 I can agree with that. That's part of it. There is doctrine that you have to say, yes, I believe these things are true. But it's not just that. Because faith in Jesus, saving faith, is loving him dearly and waiting for him expectantly. And so that leads us to the question that we should be asking of ourselves. Do you love him whom you have not seen? Do you have this love? Do you truly have it? Is there more to you being here than simply keeping the traditions of men and women who have long since died? Can you say that you love Jesus? Are you doing more than just going through the motions? Do you know that you love him? Does your believing in Jesus fill you with joy that is inexpressible? Is there a glorious weightiness to your joy and your belief in him? The apostles often warn and exhort their readers in the New Testament to test themselves to see whether their faith is actually real. Peter does this in his second letter. And if those people who heard the gospel from the disciples of Jesus themselves needed to do a diagnostic check, how much more do we? Because if you think that you've got everything going great in your Christian life, then this is especially for you. Because it's far too easy to convince ourselves that everything is going fine when it really isn't. I mean, how easy is it to, to think we're all right just in our physical health and not be? Why do people get surprised by heart attacks or cancer or strokes? It's because we don't see them coming. We don't plan on them. We don't put them into our schedules. We don't say, oh, I'm gonna have uh, I'll have a stroke uh, next Thursday at uh at 2.05. Okay, well I'll make sure I'm at JRMC then, because that's that's the best place to have one. That's why we go for checkups with scans and tests and x-rays and whatever else, and poking and prodding and whatever. Because even if we're doing great, even if we're feeling great, even if we diet, exercise, drink a lot of water, whatever. It still could be a little minuscule bit of cholesterol building up in your arteries. Or in some forgotten corner of your body, there could be a cell that has decided to divide in the wrong way. And that's a scary thought. The uncertainty. We don't like uncertainty. But if we take those kinds of precautions for our body's sake, how much more should we be cautious and looking out for cancer in our souls. Jesus told us, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So I'm pleading with you now, right now, look at yourself. Do you see Jesus now? Well, obviously not. He's in heaven. Okay, so we meet the first one. You don't see him. Okay, but do you love him? As much as you love your children or your parents or your spouse, do you believe in him in reality? Is he more than just a good thought or concept that helps you get through the day? Have you ever once rejoiced with joy that is unseen? And filled with glory. And if you're listening right now and you're thinking, yeah, I'm great, that's fine. Everything's good. Don't have to worry about it. Then I'm making this claim you are in grave danger. We're told, Paul tells us, let every man take heed if he thinks he stands lest he fall. Paul elsewhere says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, if the Apostle Paul did not think that he had made it to perfect faith, perfect relationship with God on earth, then there is not a chance that any one of us has. But now, though, I want to speak to those who are distraught over what I had just said, all these questions I've just asked you. Because if you heard them, and they went to your heart, you're maybe discouraged, downtrodden, and you think, i I don't love him like I ought to love him. I don't believe in him like I ought to. There's so many times when I fail. There's so many times when I forget that God even exists, and I just go about my business. Maybe you're even questioning, was my faith even real? Am I just fooling myself? I have good news. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise The healthy have no need for a doctor, but the sick, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you think you've got everything handled just fine by yourself, Jesus has nothing for you but the diagnosis that your soul is actually near death. But if you know yourself to be a hopeless case without Jesus, that the next trial coming might topple your faith if you were just on your own, then hear this good news, because Jesus came for you. And he says to those who know themselves to be desperately in need of him. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So please take stock of yourselves today. If you give, you know, what is it? It's an hour and a half every time you end up going to the doctor for a checkup. You give that much time for a checkup just to make sure you don't have a blood clot forming. Take some time today to check up on your soul, your faith. Are you trusting in him or are you relying on yourself? Because those people, when Jesus met with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the keepers of the law, who thought they had it figured out, had it all together, they, they kept the law, they even kept the laws around the law that they had made up to make sure they wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. They did all the sacrifices right, they did everything correct. Jesus spent all of his energies talking with those people who thought they were fine on their own, trying to show them that they were not. But to the ones that came to him and said, Oh Lord, if you will, I know you can heal me. He said, I will be healed. Let's pray. God, we know that at just the right time, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Though one might not even die for a righteous person, though for a good person one might dare even to die, yet God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we have been forgiven of our sins by the death of God's Son, how much more, Lord and Father, are we reconciled to you by his living again, by his reigning at your side? How much more, Lord, are we made to be your son or your daughter? That all the sufferings have purpose to pull us out of ourselves and self-reliance and go to him who bears all things by the word of his power, who bore the sin of the world and the wrath of God for us. Lord, open us. Pour into us your love by the Holy Spirit who is given to us that same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead. For his name's sake, Lord, we pray. Amen.